different hat. And uh, for this purpose and for the sermon, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make a different choice today. So I'm going to put on my glasses because it's mandatory now. I'm older and I'm 50. So um, I have bifocals and it's hard for me to adjust and sometimes I'm in denial. So that's what, so if I misread something, might be that. Anyways, good morning everyone and thanks again for just being here. Um, like Georgine said, you could be anywhere, but you made the choice to be here, so thank you for that. Um, I have the honor of being able to bring the Lord's message today, and um, my sermon is titled, Easier Said Than Done, because sometimes doing the things that are good for us, it's easier said than done. So that's my little motto for the day. I hope that I present this in a way that is um, continuing on the quest for um, bringing the vision of the new vision of 2020 and also the 2020 vision. Did you get that? Okay. <laughs> so the scripture that we have this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And I'm using the New Revised Standard Version, and I believe the pages are up on top, but feel free to pick up your phone. If you have your own Bible, make yourself at home. So the first part of this is a salutation. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in, Je in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will always strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today. And may you guide my lips to convey the message that you brought to me and use me as a vessel for your will. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, it's been a while since I've been up here. <laughs> so when I agreed to do this sermon, uh, Pastor Reuben was like, hey, is this going to be too much for you? And I said, nah, not absolutely not. So with my school and my jobs and, 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 I think I might want to listen to him sometimes and just use some wisdom when I make these decisions. But um, I have overcome and I'm here. So I know that when he listens to that, he's going to giggle a little because, you know, sometimes he mentors me and he's like, so do you think you have this? And I'm like, got it. <laughs> I'm learning not to say that anymore. <clears throat> so where do we go with the scripture? Um, chapter 1, 1 through 9, it's a salutation. It's a beginning, right? And it's only a beginning. So where do we go from that? I mean, what do we know? So in order to, to do that, I'm going to unpack uh, 1 Corinthians for us just a tad bit. But I promise it won't be like an hour and 45 minutes, because Shirley told me I had 20 minutes max. So <laughs> this is a salutation in the form of a letter from Paul to the people of Corinth. 
Now Paul had been a missionary, from what I read, for a year and a half. And he'd been speaking about Jesus. And so these people knew him pretty well. So he had some trust there. And in Acts chapter 18, it shows that a whole bunch of people were on this Jesus kick. And they were actually forming a church community. So we know that that happened. However, when Paul left Corinth, um, things were, weren't going so well. And there were many, many problems. So Paul addresses all these issues, and then he has a solution. And that's the gospel. He shows the people how they're not living out what they say they believe. Imagine that, right? Why are they not living out what they say they believe? Because it's easier said than done. In their defense, the whole Jesus thing was pretty empowering depending on one's perspective. I mean, just like today, we can spin it how we want it. We can try to figure out life all by ourselves, our personal opinions, our likes, our dislikes, and our beliefs. In this letter, he's expressing how he wants them to look at every single area in their life through the lens of the gospel. Get that again. Okay. So you see where I'm going with this. And it's almost like he's referring the gospel to a prescription lens for 2020 vision. Right? Are y'all with me? Okay. All right. Before I focus on the problems that Paul addresses in this letter, let's not discount that salutation because it's of the utmost importance to the letter. Every beginning of a letter is extremely important. It sets the tone and it sets the foundation. Right? In verse 1, Paul identifies himself as the apostle called by God's will and by Sothenes. So, we got that it's God's will, but Sothenes, why is he important? What is that playing there? So, the apostle part of that reaffirms Paul's authority and he's about to, for what he's about to say. And, and we then go on and we find out that Sothenes, there we go. He's um, a chief ruler of the synagogue at Corinth, and he became a believer. Therefore, he was considered a brother in Christ. Not only did he stand for Christ, and that carried the weight, but also some speculate that that's why he was brutally attacked by a crowd. Imagine that one act of choice leading to persecution. Doesn't that scream to the people of Corinth? It's time for change. If the attack was purposeful and it was purpose-driven, he would be looked up to by those followers of Jesus and an additional authority. So that gives that some more weight. In verses 2 and 3, the church of God that is in Corinth to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So I'm learning in school that what I thought I knew, I do not know. So I started looking up a lot of words that I thought I knew those expressions too. So what caught my eye was sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified, purified, cleansed, free from sin. In the Bible, it means everyone who has received Jesus Christ by faith. That's pretty powerful. Called to be saints. Everyone? I thought saints were just here on this pedestal and that's who people prayed to and that's how I was raised. Not so. Saint is Greek for hagios, meaning consecrated to God, holy and sacred. Saints are a group of people set apart for the Lord and his kingdom, body of Christ, Christians. So this means the church, and in this case, the church of Corinth. 
Paul then extends grace and peace from the Lord God. We know that peace is shalom, and we've been going over that quite a bit. But why does Paul think the Corinthians need grace? And just, not just grace, but God's grace. And not just God's grace, but that of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. This is big. What is grace? I looked that up too. God's forgiveness, right? That's grace. Redemption. Salvation. The unmerited favor of God towards men. God's grace makes possible the beginning of faith, but also it sustains us until the very end of this most broken world. It goes that far. Verses 4 through 9 are Paul's thanksgiving. And I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but what caught me is, for in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This means that the people of Corinth have been given all that they need. All that will sustain them to the end. But then Paul reminds them that God has called them into fellowship of his son. What does being called in this instance mean? And what does being called really mean? I mean, it's not a telephone call, right? So possibly, I think it means allowing their daily life to become. And what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Effort. Action. Change. Making a different choice. Making different choices with intention. For the best interest of yourself and for others. And what does that mean? God's will. Working things out to honor Him. And how does this happen? With vision. So let's move along to these problems. Because I didn't feel right just leaving it there at salutation, and since I had to research it all anyway, I'm just going to bring you all in with me. So, the problems that he was addressing, the first problem which I found was just tremendous, and it feels like I was traveling in time, because the same problems they were having then, we're still having problems with now. And the first one is division. So, when Paul left, there were other teachers, such as Apollos and Peter. What happens then? Well, these people, they gravitate towards this teacher, or they gravitate towards that teacher, because I like what this one has to say, and he relates to me, so I'm going to hang out over here. But then it became brutal, and they started t attacking one another. And it was just, well, if you're over there, then you can't be a part of this. How many times do we see that? I see that within churches. And the only time I haven't really seen it, there's a little bit of division here with the other group that comes here on Saturday. But we're still kind to one another. We worked together just yesterday. They worked with us. So I don't see that division very, very much. But it is present. Now, didn't this stuff start in junior high school? It did for me. <laughs> it started with the preppies and the jocks and the stoners and the geeks and the list goes on, right? And where else is, do we see division? The individual division from junior high school morphs and it goes to high school. And, but then there's the unity within the school, but then there's division against other schools, which we call school rivalry, right? And then that brings us to sports, which we're not going to get into here because today is another day. After school life, it's differences in the working environment, the working class, the poor, the rich, the women versus men, 
politics and religion. And let's just scope out and pull all the way back and just look at the world. And the biggest division is evil and good. Division is overwhelming to say the least. And what Paul does in this letter is he calls out to the people of Corinth and he's like, grow up. Okay, well, he didn't say that. But that's what he meant to say. I'm sure I was, you know, if I was there, that's what I would have said. Um, but he teaches and he says this about them. You are the church. A community of people centered around Jesus. Does this apply to us today? Yes. Yeah, it does. Different religions, different denominations, left or the right, in those categories, we still attack one another. We're brutal. Is Paul addressing us? Yes, he is. His point was that all teachers are servants of the Lord, so it's not worth being divided. It's not worth attacking each other if the true vision is to keep our scope on Jesus and who he is and what he has done. Second problem, sex. God, I had to say that out loud. <laughs> in the sanctuary. Um, there are some things, you know, things, and they were going down in Corinth. You know what I'm talking about, so lots of things. This is a PG sermon, so we're going to keep it that way. But the fact of the matter is, is that they use their freedom in Christ and God's grace like a kid with a bottle of sunscreen, lathering it all on, and then jumping into the pool and still getting sunburned because it wasn't waterproof. So it's abused and misused. Paul shows them again the lens, the gospel, that corrects the incorrect thinking of what God's grace means. He brings in remembrance that Jesus died for our sins, including those of sexual misconduct. And what you do with your body does matter. Each decision. And that includes our health, people. Our mental health. Our health in general. Going to the doctor when we're supposed to. That includes me. Problem three. Food. I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> Jewish versus non-Jewish Christian beliefs about meat, sacrifice to Greek and Roman gods. Paul addresses our allegiance to Jesus and not to any other god. And if the meat was used in an offering to another god and people could see you doing that and they could misread that or misconstrue it, then don't eat it. But if you have a need to eat and nobody's there and they're not going to be taking that and it was an offer to another god, then that is considered okay. There's more to that, but again, that's another sermon. But you see that Paul again steers the people back to the gospel. So problem number four that he addresses is gathering. Everyone was worshiping differently. You had people disrupting uh, things and being chaotic. Some are worshiping in different languages, people speaking over one another, interrupting. Another speaking about their vision and testimony. Another speaking about their teachings that God has given to them. And we're all being distracted by the actual gospel. Sounds like what goes on in my head sometimes. And sometimes I feel like God gives me these things and I'm like, I really need to share that. And sometimes he's like, no, that's for you. <laughs> so again, Paul reigns it in and he brings it back to the purpose. This is where the metaphor came into play of uh, the body of church. Different parts, unique but serving one purpose. All for the building of the church, which the highest value being the gospel of God's love. God's love will compel each person to use their role to serve and seek the well-being of others. 
Sound familiar? Reach, teach, and serve. Same vision, but maybe seen better in more depth with a different lens, perhaps. Problem five, the resurrection. Some doubted the resurrection and thought it was ridiculous and that it didn't matter. Again, Paul addresses this with great intention. This is not an indispensable concept because the belief comes from the eyewitness accounts of hundreds of people that saw Jesus alive after publicly executed by the Romans. If he didn't rise, then his death was pointless and we are lost in sin and selfishness. His resurrection was the victory over death and evil. Because of his resurrection, we have a reason to be unified, have sexual integrity, love others more than ourselves, and keep our hope for victory over death. The gospel is not just a moral advice or a recipe for private spirituality. It's seeing every part of life through the lens of the gospel. If we see more clearly, we can unsee, we can't unsee God's truth or his will for us. Now that we have our prescription lenses that give us 2020 vision in 2020, it is very overwhelming seeing all these things that we have missed. We have our new spiritual bifocals on and we want to hit the road running. I don't know about you, but I just got my glasses. When I got them, I could see clearly. And I wanted to run into the street and I wanted to look everywhere. I wanted to look up the sky and I wanted to see the clouds because I can see the texture on the roof now where I couldn't. And I wanted to look at the signs and I wanted to be able to read them before they passed by. And I'm like, oh shoot, I missed that turn. <laughs> I better go back and go around. Um, I could give descriptions of people from a distance. And that changes my life. It's amazing. I was chomping at the bit to get out of the gate and running. Like the people in Corinth, they thought, man, this new life in Christ is great. But they were walking normally. And they were stumbling all over and not doing what it takes to adapt to their new life with a godly lens, keeping Jesus in focus. Does anyone have bifocals? That'd be me right now. <laughs> Remember what it was like when you first got them? <laughs> new for me, and when I thought I was going to walk out of that facility with my new glasses and carry on in my usual manner, the lady at the counter gave me some quick, easy instructions, and then I was on my own. <laughs> I walked outside, and I was okay for a quick second, and then in an instant, all the amazingness of my newfound quality of my enriched life made me stop dead in my tracks because I realized my new lenses have parameters. <laughs> There's a huge adjustment that I have to make with this new vision. I must now step with caution and intention, but also be aware of what it is outside, the surroundings outside of the perimeter of these lenses. I need to be mindful of what I'm doing because it matters. With the Bible as our lens, our depth of perspective changes. Now I know that I can live without my glasses. Proven that. I haven't gotten in an accident. God bless me. Because um, I've been a sometime user. I was telling Ellen that the other day. She was like, you wear glasses? And I'm all, uh, sometimes. <laughs> oh, you wear contact? No, not really. Most for, mostly for driving. But when I don't have them on, my life is not enriched. 
It's blurry, it's unfocused, and sometimes downright frustrating. <laughs> I can live without the Bible. But why? Why would someone want to live in a big blur? Because I'm used to it? Because I'm in denial? Nothing too terribly bad has happened to me yet? I use it when I need it? Through Him who can do all things, we can trust that He is with us. Moving us to become. We may have battles along the way, but we have a God bigger than anything. A God who has never lost a battle yet. I want to be on that side. I want my choices in life to reflect what God has called us to be with Jesus as my focus and my vision. Because with Him, we are not lost. I hope that you feel the same. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for all that you are. This song is for a reason. And it kind of says, is it a fact of the things that are reached all day? But we are never lost. And so we're going to sing this as a special for you today. But if you feel like singing, join me.